0: Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. This is the Entrepreneur Architect Podcast, Episode 50. Welcome back, my friends, to the Entrepreneur Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, or you're in the process of launching a startup, or you're an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. Last December, I was invited by the American Institute of Architecture students to join them in Chicago and speak at their annual national convention, Forum. If you recall last December, it was extremely cold throughout the U.S., and snow was covering much of the nation, and it was during that event and while waiting for the airports to dig out and start allowing flights to resume departure from O'Hare once again where I had the opportunity to speak with many students of architecture and we discussed their future and their plans and their ambitions and it was during this event when I realized that many of the issues that we discuss here at Entrepreneur Architect are also serious concerns for our next generation of architects how will they find jobs will they be paid what they're worth both as interns as well as when they become licensed professionals How will they start their own businesses? Will they be respected for the skills they have um, and 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 the talents they possess? Will architecture actually be a profession that they'll be proud to call their own? Today on the Entrepreneur Architect podcast, I have the privilege to be speaking with a man that may have some answers for those students. As a former assistant director of the intern development program, also known as IDP, and the National Council of Architectural Registration Boards, also known as NCARB, And he's the new executive director of the American Institute of Architecture Students. Nick surface is in a very, very unique position. As a project architect earlier in his career, as a member of the board of directors for his local Richmond, Virginia chapter of the AIA, and leading the way on both sides of IDP, Nick has a perspective of the profession that few others possess. And I am so happy that with many dedicated student leaders, He is guiding the AIAS, and I am honored to have him here today as a guest. Nick Surface, welcome to the Entrepreneur Architect podcast.
1: Thanks, Mark. Thrilled to be here and excited to be here in this new position as well. So um, uh, hopefully we can provide some good insight into where the organization stands today and maybe talk a little bit about uh, the design leaders of the future that are coming through the ranks right now and and how they can kind of get a leg up through the AIS and what the AIS can, can do for the profession as well. So, again, I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, that'll be great. Before we get into all of that fun stuff, what I'd like to do is is start with your origin story. When did you know you wanted to become an architect? So start way back and tell us the story, your journey from, from that point to where you are today.
1: Sure. Well, for me, it was a decision much much later in my career than, than for most in architecture, I think. Uh, My undergraduate work was in something called Foreign Affairs. Uh, I actually only took one architecture course my senior year of college. It was a 200-level history course, second half of it. Uh, It was an elective, and I remember it was the last exam I took before I graduated. And I remember walking out of that course thinking, you know, that's too bad. I'm I'm never going to get a chance to do that again. But I went out and I started working, and I got a job at a large corporate law firm in the litigation department. Because when you have a foreign affairs degree, that's kind of, of the main options is you know law firms, law school, or politics, something like that. Uh, got out, I started working, and I thought I might go to law school eventually. But I was speaking with a young attorney one day, and he was in his second year at the time, doing really well for himself, making a six-figure salary. Uh, but we were talking about my future, and he mentioned that he actually calculated his hourly wage based on the amount of hours he worked for his first year at the firm, and it came out to $3.69 <laughs> an hour. So it was at that point I decided I needed a more lucrative career than what the, the law could offer me. So, uh, so the, the running joke is that now I switched to architecture, which uh, I am I'm still waiting for that to, uh, to return dividends. But um, no, in all seriousness, I wanted to, to give back and get, have a career that was a little bit more creative um, and then I thought maybe uh, you know maybe gave back a little more you know to the to the greater good. Uh, so I went back to architecture school. I did a three and a half year MARC at the University of Miami down in Coral Gables. Uh, had a great time, but ended up coming back to Richmond, Virginia afterward, which is where I'm from, and started working for a large local firm doing healthcare design. Uh, had a great experience there, and what one of the primary benefits of that experience was was the opportunity to get a lot of hands-on experience really early on. I was out on site a lot, got to meet a lot of contractors and engineers and clients, and do a lot of that construction administration work. And it really helped me go through the internship program and the licensure process fairly quickly. Uh, And once I was able to earn a license, uh, I moved right into a construction administration role. So I started, again, back out on site, clients, contractors, architects. And that's where I think I really excelled. Having come at this profession a little bit laterally, um, I don't always feel like I have the design sense or the creativity or the artistic talent that, that many others do. So, I put my, my skills to work out in the field and that seemed to, to, to pay some dividends.
0: Uh,
1: through that, I started leading an in-house group of folks doing some mentoring, that type of thing. The firm ended up winning an IDP Outstanding Firm Award back in 2007. And that's how I got plugged into the, the whole world of NCARB and started to do some volunteering with them and um, met some of the folks at the AIA and, and really started to get involved. And that led to the position at NCARB, uh, which primarily worked on outreach to colleges and universities, explaining the licensure process, explaining how EP works, uh, giving out airy tips and tricks and study strategies, and, and talking about the architecture career as a whole uh... that was over the last six and a half years which naturally naturally led me to, uh, to the position at the AIS I've had a lot of involvement with the AIS over the past year through quad conferences and forum and their grassroots conference and so uh... for me it was a natural fit and uh... I'm finally excited to be here now uh, I've been here for a, about three months and uh... so far so good I think and uh... hopefully this is the the first step towards a lot more content coming out of our office, uh, hopefully a lot more face time for not only myself, but some of the staff members here, as well as uh, our president and vice president. So I think that kind of rounds it out.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great story. We, so when you decided that you when they, when the position for executive director for AIS became available, um, why why was uh, what was the one thing that sort of led you to that position?
1: Uh, well, to be honest with you, um, I received a text about it uh, on a weekend, and uh, I remember thinking at the time, wow, I, I need to get out of the house and go to the gym and, and think about this. Um, so it's always been something that's been on my horizon. It's always seemed like a natural extension of what I was doing at NCARB. Uh, at NCARB, I was focused on just the licensure process and, and that, whole, that whole route through the career, but the opportunity to move to the AIS gives me a much broader perspective. Uh, it gives me a chance to engage with students on a variety of levels and on a variety of topics. Uh, and it essentially makes my uh, career and my job entirely focused on students, which I think is pretty cool and has always been uh, one of the most unique aspects of my work at NCARB and one of the aspects I enjoy the most. So for me, it was just a natural extension and a natu- natural next uh, next jump.
0: When I was in Chicago, uh- at the AIAS forum, I was really impressed with the student leaders uh, that I met. Uh, and then, again, when I was in Chicago for AIA convention, Charlie Kletcher, the, the current AIAS president, invited me to, uh, to a meeting with he, uh, him and his board. And I got to meet you know all of the board that, or many of the members of the board that were there. So uh, it looks like you have a fantastic group of student leaders to work with.
1: Yeah, I really feel like I I couldn't have come in at a better time. Um, As you mentioned, Charlie Kletcher, the the current president, as well as Obi Okolo, the vice president, uh, are fantastic leaders. um, Both come at the organization with very different perspectives. Uh, Obi Okolo, the vice president, has worked with the organization for several years in a volunteer capacity and a leadership capacity. Uh, So he brings a lot of historical and institutional knowledge Uh, Charlie Kletcher kind of comes at it from a little bit of a different angle. He's been a member for a lot less time uh, but is seeing it with a fresh set of eyes so he provides some new insight and perspective and uh, Charlie also has a good deal of professional experience he uh, is one of those three year MARC folks so he had a a good deal of work with uh, set and stage design and and concert set and stage design so um, that kind of provides a, a unique element and perspective as well so I feel like it couldn't be a better year to start this journey and with the leaders, both that president and vice president, as well as many of the chapter leaders and our board of directors.
0: And so I, you're, I'm assuming that you're gearing up for Nashville. Nashville is the city where this year's forum is going to be held. Um, what, what, what's going on at AIS now at a national level and what's really planned for the future?
1: Sure. Well, right now, what we're trying to do is create a solid foundation in which we can start to launch new programs and new campaigns and new, uh, new items for member value. Um, so, for a while, the, the AIS has kind of moved along consistently with some, some rather consistent and, um, uh, yeah, consistent programs from year to year. Um, CRIT is our magazine. We've always had Forum, which is our annual meeting uh, in the wintertime. We've had a grassroots leadership conference, um, but what we're trying to do now is to try to get some of our foundations in place: our communication strategies, our partnership strategies, our membership strategies, so that we can really start to grow. We can maybe add new programs, expand these conferences in new ways, um, and maybe bring in some new partners that um, provide fresh benefits to to some of our members. So again, we're looking to establish the foundation so we can create new and fresh items for our members and, and increase value.
0: When I was when I, when I went to Forum, my perspective uh, of architecture students changed. I, it had been a while since I was at a Forum, and it's, and it's been a, a, a long time since I interacted with students. Um, I'm wondering if there, from your perspective, should there be a more formal integration uh, or at least an interaction between the AIA and the AIAS so professionals and students can come together you know, more formally so those interactions that I had with students can, can happen uh, on a more regular basis with other professionals as well.
1: Absolutely. It's, to me, it's a natural fit to, um, to Im- increase and enhance that relationship between the AIAS and AIA. Uh, here at the national office, that relationship already exists at a pretty strong level. Uh, the AIS is actually located within the AI building, um, and we do a lot of coordination and collaboration here at a staff level. Uh, however, I'm not sure that always extends to the local level, which is what we're trying to expand upon. Uh, we have, of course, our chapters all over the country, which many of which have AI components nearby. and there's a mutual benefit for for both organizations and I think some greater communication and coordination at the local level um, could certainly help the members and increase the programs and benefits available and really expose you know the AIS members to you know what's going on in the profession and maybe bridge that gap a little bit better between uh, academia and, and professional life and so what we're doing at a national level is trying to figure out ways in which we can increase that communication and coordination and kind of support the local chapters in their outreach to the AIA components so that there's, again, um, an opportunity for, for mutual benefits to be shared by both. But I, I think you hit it on target. I think it's a natural fit, and I think we just need to work on, on uh, enhancing that relationship and, and the opportunities for communication and collaboration.
0: Yeah, I, I think it would be very beneficial for professionals to, to, um, to see what happens at Forum. Because when you're in that, in that big room with a thousand architecture students who are so optimistic and so energetic uh, about the profession, it, it gets me as a professional really excited about the profession I'm in um, and, and really excited about the future of the profession. And so I would encourage any architects who are listening to, um, to interact with uh, some of the AIAS students, whether at a local chapter level or Uh, on a national level maybe attend a a forum Um, and also the other way around i would love to see more architecture students uh, attending aia convention Uh, this year it's in atlanta last year it was in chicago i did see some students at those at the convention last year Um, it would be great to see a more formal uh invitation by the aia to have architecture students, um, join them at, at the convention and, and see what's happening at a national level and, and, and really feel the respect that professionals have for students.
1: Yeah, at the AIS we're always, we always say that we're, we're trying to increase our members' ands. And what we, mean, what we mean by that is, well, in architecture school they learn all about architecture, but through the AIS they can add other things. So marketing and project management and design office management and you know, graphics and leadership and all that type of thing. And one of the ways where we can really expand our members, you know, quote unquote, ands is through our events. That's, again, forum, uh, promoting AI national convention, and even some of the local AI conventions. Um, we have a chapter up in, in uh, Rhode Island, Roger Williams University. They're really doing a good job uh, promoting um, ABX, which is a, a kind of a regional conference in Boston, to their members. Um, and several other chapters around the country are doing the same, and it's really at those events where I think we're best able to, to add to our members' ands. We're able to expand their network, expand their skill set, introduce them to people that they would have you know, otherwise not been able to meet, um, you know, introduce them to even vendors and materials and that type of thing, and give them access to educational sessions which are, uh, you know, well beyond what they're, what they're hearing and seeing on, you know, on campus. And it gives them a greater perspective, too. And, you know, to, to touch on what you were saying about uh, professionals, you know, our doors are always open as well. I, I'd love to take a fresh perspective on our conferences and, and blend in more professionals so that it's more of a, a, a mutual engagement rather than just a student conference. It's a chance for everybody to get together and, uh, you know, and meet and interact and work towards the same goals of bettering the profession.
0: Yeah, our professionals can also volunteer to speak uh, at at forum, uh, they, you have programs and, and seminars that that uh, are offered to the students, and that's how I ended up. Uh, I was invited by the um, by the by the organizing committee to come down and uh, both speak at the conference as well as present a seminar on business and architecture. So um, that's an opportunity for any professional. If you have something to say and something to share with students, um, give them a call and, and tell them that you're uh, that you're interested in. in and working with them.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Mark. Um, Our schedule for our conferences is you know pretty much a blank slate pretty late in the year until we really gear up for it and we're always looking for new sessions and new perspectives and um, and speakers from from the profession itself who have you know gone out and become subject matter experts of their own so like you said if anybody is interested in speaking at one of our conferences by all means please reach out to us we'd love to hear from you and and frankly, we're, we're trying to find you. We're just not always sure where, where to start. Um, and that's part of the reason why I'm really excited about being on this podcast, because I think your audience mark in particular um, is a real draw for our membership. Um, one of the things I've been doing is reaching out to the chapter president since I've been on board and trying to find out what you know, we could do to, to enhance the organization. And they keep coming back to this concept of bridging the gap between, again, academia and the profession. And it's that business side of architecture and design that a lot of them feel they don't necessarily get in their standard curricula. So, having people from from your audience in particular, Mark, I think would be a huge benefit to us. So, if anybody is listening, I would I would encourage you and, and hope that you would please reach out to us because we'd love to hear from you.
0: Yeah, that's great. And and uh, I don't want to I don't want to um, uh, let it slip by that you gave a shout out to Roger Williams because that's that's my alma mater. That's, uh, and, and, and that is a very active group, and, and I was president of that chapter when I was at school. And so uh, I, was, I was proud to see them at Forum, and I'm proud to see what they're doing uh, up in Boston. And they invited me in February to come back to Roger Williams and speak, so I'm looking forward to that as well.
1: That's right, Mark. You know, I, I did know that you went to Roger Williams, but I didn't make that immediate connection right there, so uh, I, I promised that was genuine.
0: <laughs> That's good. It sounded genuine, so I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> um, let's get into IDP a little bit. Um, sure. You have lots of experience with, with IDP, uh, traveling around the country and kind of presenting uh, the program to students. Um y- I know that they've announced several very big changes in the last year or so. Um, Could you sort of give a summary of some of those things that are are changing at IDP?
1: Sure, of course. Um, So one of the primary changes, and this is the most immediate change, is that IDP is currently set up to require interns to earn 5,600 hours. That's approximately three years. That three years is broken up into two different ways. Um, approximately two years is in core hours, so that means specific hours that need to be earned in specific areas, and then there are minimum amounts uh, in those areas. The other year is elective hours. So essentially, it could occur in any area of of IDP. Well, what NCARB is implementing is a program whereby we move from that 5,600 three-year mark to a 3740 two-year mark. And in order to do that, they're essentially removing those elective hours that I just mentioned. So the hours that could come from any area of IDP are now being wiped clean, and the program will just be those core hours. So um, what you need to do for IDP is just the core hours and the core areas, and then you'll be done. So that's a pretty significant move, and uh, hopefully should lessen the time uh, to licensure. Um, but still maintains the rigor of, of you know, what those core requirements are. The second phase of the change, which is not as immediate, I believe uh, there, there's a little bit of a time lag in terms of when this will happen, but IDP is currently set up into seven, 17 different experience areas, things like programming and construction documents and construction administration and um, leadership and service. Those 17 areas are being condensed to six uh, and hopefully that makes the program a little bit more uh, workable and usable. Um, and those six areas will align with the new six divisions of the ARE as well, which kind of brings everything into alignment. Um, however, on the IDP side, of course, those six areas will focus on tasks and knowledge and skills and you know, activities that are performed in the office, whereas on the ARE side, they're obviously testing your, your specific knowledge of topics and subjects. So there'll be a little bit of a different angle from each side, but again, at least focused on the same six areas, uh, which I think is a, is a fantastic move. Uh, the last thing I want to mention that NCARB's kind of been promoting and, and working toward is this licensure upon graduation concept. They recently put out an RFI&I. It's a request for information and interest to schools across the country that might be interested in creating a new program For uh, schools to create licensure upon graduation. Now, the licensure upon graduation concept could be achieved in a variety of different ways, but in whichever way it's achieved, it's still intended to be an alternative to the existing program and still include education, internship, and exam in some way. It's just essentially a consolidation of all those those three elements. So, again, to summarize, you have the, the consolidation from 5,600 hours to 3,740. That's three years to two years. You have a move from 17 areas to six areas in terms of which areas you need to earn experience in and a push towards licensure upon graduation.
0: Wow, those are some, some major changes happening. I, I've, heard, I've heard mixed reviews from the professionals uh, on some of those changes. Many very positive, exciting Uh, thoughts and then there's some that that feel that uh, it's not the right move but I think you have that in any any issue that comes up in this profession you have people who are for it and who are who are against it Um, one of the questions I have for you because it keeps coming up in my in my community because many of us small uh, small firm architects and sole practitioners are working now remotely which is how I have my studio now my studio is a virtual studio um, my staff is 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 working remotely in their own studios um, and i have a two hundred square foot space here so i don't have a place and it's in a pri- in my private home so i don't really have a place for an intern to come and work in my space um, what i was wondering is is there the ability to have virtual firms and have a, a, a remote intern and they can still earn their idp credits uh... but not working in direct, you know, in my direct location, is that is that possible? And if so, how do you how do you do that?
1: Sure, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and as you mentioned, Mark, I think the the mobile workplace is just a reality that um, you know, if organizations haven't adopted it yet, I mean, it's certainly coming down the pike. And I think more and more companies and organizations are are feeling comfortable with that scenario. Um, I'm intimately familiar with it myself, and I've found it to be extremely uh, successful. Uh, and it's not just virtual it's you know everybody's traveling a lot more and trying to get out more and and, you know do the face-to-face contact and that requires you know a mobile workforce so with that said yes uh, that type of arrangement is absolutely acceptable for IDP. Um, IDP is governed by something called direct supervision Um, You know, there's a lot of questions sometimes about employment relationships or locations and you know all the details of, of how a job works but really IDP just relies on direct supervision, and it's a very specific definition. And one element of that definition is that it requires personal contact. And by personal contact, they mean you know either day to day in the office or remote contact. So that could be via Skype uh, um, or via Google Hangout or via consistent conference call. The intent is simply that the intern and their direct supervisor have a touch point from day to day in terms of what they're working on. Uh, that's a change that happened a few years ago with IDP and it just it was a proactive reaction to um, or a proactive stance towards the, the changing workforce. Um, so that's absolutely okay. Uh, the way that it works is very similar to the standard process. Since everything is online now, the intern simply goes in, puts in their information, clicks submit, and it gets an instant email over to the supervisor. Um, so where and, you know, what time things are occurring is really irrelevant anymore. Um, you could certainly have an intern in California and a supervisor in, you know, in New York, and that worked just fine. Um, and, and again, and it seems to be, uh, the increasing nature of, uh, of how we do business. So it just makes sense.
0: Um, so. Do, do, and this is another question that has come up. So that's a very, that's a great answer. So I think that answers the question of many of, of my audience. Um, the other question that comes up related to that is: Do interns need to be uh, employees? Do they actually have to be employees uh, of the firm, or can they be consultants to the firm?
1: Sure. So this is one of those situations that NCARB, at least when I was there, we we would hear these scenarios in, in different fashions pretty frequently. Um, I think you know architecture has always been one of those uh, professions where you know people are always striving to. Um, you know, create new types of business relationships, create new types of organizations. They're always on the cutting edge for that type of thing. And I think, in particular, the economy over the last several years has dictated an, an even broader range of experiences. Because you know, standard firms are consolidating. Um, you know, clearly there were some layoffs at times, and people were trying to get creative about how to get some experience under their belt. Um, and so. We started to hear more things about independent contractors or consultant work, or you know, just various arrangements. And again, it all comes back to uh, to that direct supervision. Uh, and the, another element of direct supervision is that the supervisor has control, quote unquote, over the work of the intern. So, regardless of what the employment scenario is, whether that intern is paid, you know to come in once or twice a week or once or twice a month or to work from home on a certain project only all that type of stuff it certainly counts and NCARB not terribly worried about it so long as the supervisor has direct control over the work of the intern um, you know NCARB never goes in and looks at the specific organizational books of a, of a firm and tries to figure out exactly how that works that's beyond the scope of NCARB they just want to know again that there is a direct control relationship over what the intern is doing and the supervisor is seeing. With that said, one of the things that NCARP specifically doesn't allow is when somebody is um, essentially establishing their own firm and providing design services, um, you know, to an architect or to another professional. Um, but it's beyond that kind of um, you know that freelance or independent contractor scenario. If you have your own firm. And you're operating your own business in a a way you're essentially in control of your own work. Um, You make your own decisions, and essentially the architect or whoever you might be working for is a client. So that's when things get a little bit more gray, and and NCARB tends to to not accept those types of scenarios because again that control factor is not there. Ultimately, if you own your own business, you're in control of your own work. So I realize that that may create a little bit of a gray area, and it's not as crystal as it should be, but Again, it all comes down to that control factor and how that fits into direct supervision.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting because there is a difference between that between somebody who is is technically an intern but is remote and can be paid as a consultant, doesn't need to be paid as a as an employee. They can take care of their own taxes on their income that they earn, um, but they can't have their own business. They can't be incorporated or have an LLC and working with many different architects and doing different things and and that internship uh, relationship is just one of the many things that they're doing where they have total control over their own business and their own work, that's that's not acceptable. But somebody who uh, is just working towards their licensure and they live in California and I'm here in New York, uh, and I pay them for the hours they work and they send me a bill uh, and I send them a check, that that seems to be fall within the direct supervision uh, and I have control over what they're doing. Uh, based on what I'm assigning them to do so
1: mark that's about as clear as I've ever heard it enunciated so uh, he should get on an NCAR webinar because that, that, <laughs> that's about as uh, a good description as I've ever heard
0: good I'm glad I'm glad we talked about that because that's something that comes up in my community quite often because they're all small firms many of them sole proprietors uh, many of them want to give back to the profession and, and help the interns come through the profession and grow and and uh, And just including myself, you know, now with this new situation I have, um, you know, it's something that that uh, we want to work out and see if we can uh, have an intern or two uh, work with us remotely. So um, that's not an invitation to send me 10,000 requests for internship, but it's uh, it is it is something that we're going to be looking at in the future. So uh, it's uh, I thank you for that information. Um, I. I would say just one last thing on IDP. From from your current position as as an executive now at at, at uh, AIAS, no longer involved intimately with a, uh, with IDP, what would you say is sort of the the greatest weakness that IDP needs to work on, and what is the greatest strength uh, going forward that IDP should continue?
1: Wow, Mark, you're going to have to let me pause for a second on that one. Um.
0: And if, and if I put you in an awkward position, you don't have to answer them. No,
1: no, not at all. Um, that's what I'm here to do, and, and you know, that's, it's not my role anymore, so that, uh, that, it's an interesting point. Um, so let's start with the strengths, because um, I think that uh, even though at times you know, there's an administrative quality to it, and there's a paperwork quality to it, and people get frustrated by just the natural regulatory nature of, of how it all works... I think the standardization of, of topics and, and, and the overall direction that it gives uh, is hugely beneficial, and that's not just my perspective. That's actually sometimes what I hear from from people who um, are genuinely participating in a lot of our the uh, lot of the volunteer efforts at Ncarb, uh, even at the intern level. Particularly something called the intern think tank, which Ncarb holds every year uh, for people going through the process. The feedback that they receive from that is that you know a lot of the structure and the direction that that IDP provides is actually good because otherwise you get into an office and you kinda just get through you know you start going through the day-to-day activities and you dive into a project but you don't really think about all the different elements that you need to know um, to to learn and grow and and make sure you get to a certain you know a certain competency level and so again for, for strengths I would say that that direction and that structure is needed and particularly given the variety of, of operations and firms and project types that happen you know some structure is just is you know is just the, the best way. And NCARB you know to give them um, uh, some positive uh, feedback here that the increase in the, their digital strategy and their ability to um, you know have interns engage online uh, even through the supervisor intern process the apps that they use for IDP now all of those things make the administrative side uh, less of a burden. Um, so I guess, I guess that would be my, uh, my greatest strength. Um, and, you know, in terms of weakness, uh, you know, there's, just, there's never going to be a, a, a best way to do something. Um, I wish that a lot of the, um, the pieces and parts of IDP could more easily be acquired during school, um, and, and through academia, I mean, thinking about, um, you know, IDP is allowed to happen in school, um, but sometimes you're just, it's just hard to do because you're coming out only for a summer internship, uh, you're not getting, um, you know, the depth of experience over the two or three months in the summer that you would get in a normal full-time in, you know employment scenario. So I wish that IDP could be further integrated into academia in some way, and I think that that's certainly you know the goal towards that licensure upon graduation model. Um, but I just remember myself coming out of uh, of school and you know not having had a lot of chance to dive much into the IDP, and I wish I, that it had just been a natural integration. So um, I hope that that can just expand and, and happen more as as, as IDP evolves. Um, you know, in terms of what IDP is and rules and regulations and what topics it covers, you know, that stuff is always going to change. It's always going to evolve, and it and frankly, I think it should. Um, I would hope that it doesn't stay stagnant. Um, there's been some critique uh, among a variety of parties that things change too much, and it's hard for interns and even supervisors to keep up. But I think, you know, that's that's a quality of a, a responsive program, and, um, you know, that's a, a testament to the profession. and you know, NCARB as well, that, you know, they're looking at the reality of, of, of modern day practice. And if, if modern day practice changes, so should the licensure process. So again, to summarize, I think, uh, you know, the strengths of the direction um, and the structure provides and the weakness is that it, you know, right now it's just difficult to do a lot of it in school. And I wish that some way, you know, the, the the academic and professional world can kind of combine to, to make it a little bit easier to graduate with some more professional skills in hand.
0: Yeah, I think that was a an excellent answer. I I, um, I think that the integration of the intern program with the profession, that it's just part of the process of becoming an architect, and it's not really the separate thing that you need to get through, uh, would be a great a great uh, asset to the profession. There's a great book called Mastery by Robert Green, um, and he writes about how and he, is, he has many examples of how masters became masters and. And he talks about that there's this process to become a master, that, that, there's a, that there is an, an apprenticeship that has to happen. And an apprenticeship typically needs to take 10 years. And so if you think about it from an architect's point of view, um, you go to school and then you have this internship. And then there's a few years after your internship that you're still learning the profession and you kind of know, kind of putting in all those pieces together. And that 's about ten years worth of time be- between you know starting school and getting through your IDP and, and doing those additional years of just learning what you need to learn to become an architect and I'm not talking about licensure I'm talking about you know the apprenticeship of, of architecture and then there's this period of time that that uh, that I'm in where um, you take what you learn and you start practicing it and you be- and you become this um, uh, in, in the terms of an apprentice, you'd be the journeyman. Now you go out and you do the work. You have this education and you learn your the, your skills, and and you go out and you start honing your skills, and you become very good at it. And then at a certain point, you become a master. And the master is you know somebody who's really good at what you're doing. You you have uh, a tremendous skill in what you're doing, and then you go back and you teach the the apprentices. So you're looking for an apprentice uh, to help with you as a master, and your master is uh, helping uh, the apprentice that this, this symbiotic relationship. I, I would recommend that book to everybody, to both students as well as professionals, because um, I think many students, as, as did I, looked at this internship as this thing that you just needed to get through to become an architect. And I think that if you looked at it more from the perspective of an apprenticeship, that school is a process that that you're going through to become an architect and the IDP program is just a way to regulate and to to document the process of an internship once you get out of school but that's not the apprenticeship the apprenticeship is the work that you're doing and the relationships that you have with these professionals and the things that you learn Um, and the business skills from my point of view that you need to learn uh, through, uh, that in that internship and that apprenticeship, because when you get out of the apprenticeship phase and you become an architect and you become a license, all of those things that you've learned and you've experienced and the relationships you've built is what will take you to those next levels. And IDP should not be a hurdle. It should just be a way to, to document what you're doing. Um, but the apprenticeship should be the internship.
1: Yeah, Mark, I couldn't agree more. I think that was very well said. I think um, you're right. A lot of people see internship and the whole licensure process as almost a, you know, a roadblock or a firewall that they just kind of got to get through. And really, there are some fantastic opportunities to learn to grow as a professional through it. So I think if you take that mindset and you really try to use it as you know a launching pad, that's something that's going to actually benefit you and that you're going to you're going to reach back and think about that experience and use it as a reservoir to kind of you know uh, inform and and guide your future I think you know is the best way to do it Um, when you look at it as a roadblock it just becomes you know it becomes something that you see as a hassle and you're not as engaged in it and maybe you don't get as much out of it but if you look at it as something that's actually gonna gonna help you and pay dividends you know years on down the road then maybe it's a different perspective you take and you know, maybe not only do you have a, a better internship, but maybe you get through it faster just because you're more engaged and motivated.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I think a lot of it, you know, much, much as, as is life, you know, it's the way you look at it uh, and the perspective that you have as you, as you uh, try to move on in your life. Um, so this has been great, Nick. Thank you very much for your time here today. Um, you're Nick Surface, right? At, on Twitter. Uh, uh yep
1: at Nick Surface.
0: And it's uh N I C K S E R F A S S. Uh so if you want to connect with Nick on Twitter, um is there any better way to connect with you if people listening wanted to say thank you for your time today?
1: No, actually Twitter is the best way. I think there's a certain elegance to 140 characters that I love. I wish uh I wish I could change my email to 140 characters only. <laughs> So, uh, no, Twitter's great, I love it, and it's fun, so uh, let's do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to connect. And, and anybody who's not on Twitter should be on Twitter and connect with Nick, and you can connect with me at Entree Architect. Um, Nick, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with me here today on the, on the podcast. It's really, really been a pleasure.
1: Yeah, thanks, thanks again, Mark, for having us. And, again, our, our end-of-the-year conference is uh, at the end of December in Nashville this year. Um, we're hoping it's going to be, you know, an excellent lineup. And uh, for all the professionals listening, if you're interested in coming or participating, please reach out and let us know. Uh, uh, we're real excited about it. It might get a little loud, too, in Nashville.
0: <laughs> it should be great. I mean, it was fantastic in Chicago. I can only imagine the vibe uh, of Nashville mixed in with those, with those students. It's going to be a, a special, uh, special event. So thank you very much, Nick, for, uh, for spending your time with us.
1: Absolutely. Thanks again, Mark. I appreciate uh, being on the show and uh, can't wait to interact with you guys more at Entree Architect.
0: This episode of the Entrepreneur Architect podcast was brought to you by Entrepreneur Architect Academy. Entrepreneur Architect Academy is a community of like-minded entrepreneur architects seeking to take their small firms to greater success. You may be the average of the five people with whom you surround yourself, and this is an opportunity to be part of a group of professionals who are determined to take their business, their lives, and their leadership to the next level. If you're interested in learning more about Entrepreneur Architect Academy, please visit entrearchitect.com/slash Academy. And if you like this episode please go to iTunes and leave a review this is how you may help me spread the word about entrepreneur architect and our mission to become an influential force in this profession go to entrepreneur architect at entrearchitectcom slash iTunes or just go to iTunes and search for entrepreneur architect you'll find me this week I received one new review bumping our number up to 54 we're still shooting for 100 before the new year But I'm uh, getting a little scared of whether I'm going to actually hit that. I'm only halfway there and I only have two months left. So if you have not yet reviewed the podcast, please go do that. EntreeArchitect.com slash iTunes. That'll take you there. This week's review was from Billy Ware. Billy Ware is a uh, member of the Entrepreneur Architect Academy. Thank you very much, Billy, for the review. It says, must listen for architects who run a business Mark shares his insights and thoughts along with interviewing others who have walked the path. I love his balance of work and the rest of life. He is a wealth of knowledge and an encouragement to me and to those who listen. His podcasts are directly applicable to our business today. I thank him for taking the time out to make our profession better. Mark, keep on going. I look forward to many more podcasts. I am an entrepreneur architect. Yes, you are, Billy. Thank you very much for that great review. And uh, please go do that if you have not reviewed. The more reviews I get, the more people that learn what we're doing here, and the better the profession is going to be. So that is a wrap on this most important episode number 50. Yes, it's five zero episodes since I started this thing back in December of 2012 on 12-12-12. Thank you for all your continuous support and encouragement. Keep spreading the word about what we're doing here. Every week we grow and every week we become more influential. We will become an influential force in this profession. Change is being made and you are a part of this mission. So thank you very much. Until next week, my name is Mark R. Lepage and I am an entrepreneur architect. Thank you very much for listening and spread the word.